Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. In this episode, longtime friends Heather Yandow with Third Space Studio and Nicole Stewart with the North Carolina Conservation Network and Raleigh City Council dig deeper into the many collaborative projects they've created over the years. So I'm Heather Yando, and I am a consultant with Third Space Studio. And I am Nicole Stewart, the Development Director for the North Carolina Conservation Network, among other things. Among many other things. Many other. <laughs> and we've known each other for a really, really long time. How long yes. have we known each other? For mm, 17, 18 years? I don't count. Probably. Since like 2000 and something. Yeah. yeah. And how did we meet? Do you remember? Um, I believe I was at UNC Wilmington. I know I was at UNC Wilmington, uh-huh. um, and you were already at NC Conservation Network. I was, and you were leading this rad student group. Called ECO, uh, what Environmental e- Concerns Organization. Yes. Yeah. And I was running a collective of environmental student groups all over the state. Yeah. And was really impressed by you. Aww. Aww. And got to know you better and eventually <laughs> hired you. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. the Conservation Ev- Network hired eventually. you. <laughs> <laughs> eventually. Eventually. We don't have to yeah. do that. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it was super fun, and I was fresh out of college, uh-huh. living with my mom in Apex. That's right. And you cool kids invited me to come hang out at that um, knitting group. Yes. Called? Stitch and Bitch. Stitch and Bitch. So, yeah. among many other things that Nicole and I are, previous co-workers, we also have been longtime co-conspirators. My co-conspirator life partner. <laughs> <laughs> and we've schemed up lots of things, um, and... I think it all started probably with Stitch and Bitch. Yeah. Which was every uh, Tuesday night, we would go to Cafe Helios and listen to a DJ and DJ knit. Keith. DJ Keith and knit. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And we spawned from that um, a knitting fundraiser mm-hmm. where we sold our knitting wares. We put them up on the wall, like the art that was always there, and yeah, sold part them. Of First Friday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And gave it away. Give the money away to a v- orphanage? Some women's group in another country. Yep, that's yes. what it was. It was great. Yeah. But that kind of started us on this kick of, I think, organizing our own things. Yeah, and raising money for the issues we care about. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is one of the themes of our relationship, is no matter what we've done, it's <laughs> yes. always been super fun, raising money, yeah. trying to make Raleigh better. Yeah. In lots and lots of ways. Yeah. No, so what sure. was after that? Do you remember? So after that, I got a little distracted and got married. Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, planning a wedding is like the opposite of a fundraiser. Um, it's event planning, but you lose money. Yes. Um, and then I came home um, from honeymoon, and a couple months later, I think I, we were all out to dinner, probably for a first Friday or something, at pools. Diner. At the old pools. The old pools. Before it was fancy. When King's was still old King's. Yes. And... Um, we got to talking about hosting a production of... The Vagina Monologues. Yes. 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 So I remember clearly, Nicole, we were sitting in a booth with a bunch of friends, and she was like, so I have this idea. I want to do this thing. Because you had, had you done it? Yeah. At, I did at UNCW. Yeah. Yeah. And really wanted to do it here. And the way it worked at the time was you just had to go on a website yep. and say, we want the Raleigh Community Production. And I think we had to agree... To let anybody who wanted to do it be part of it. Yep, they could find us online. They could find us online and be part of the production. And we also had to agree to give the money to organizations working uh, on domestic violence issues. Yeah. But other than that, we were really free to do whatever we wanted. That's right. That's right. And I remember we held the first casting call in your house. Yes. 
and had people come and audition for us. Uh-huh. And then we did it for how long, do you think? At least three years. It may have been longer. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, I was a producer at some point. I was on stage at some point, but I didn't love being on stage. Yeah. You loved being on stage there, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. There was something, I don't know. What do you think that was? <laughs> I have no idea, especially since they weren't my own words and I could just read. Um, I don't know. There's something about performing. I have no idea what that is. I've never really explored that. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was super fun. Um, and then at some point we decided we want to do this all the time. We want to raise money all the time and for more than just this type of organization mm-hmm. for all sorts of different nonprofits in Raleigh. And so out of that, we kind of weave together a group of folks. I think Les and I hosted, my husband and I hosted a bunch of folks at the house. Yeah, you and Les pulled us together for dinner and yeah. had this idea of creating some kind of giving circle, which... You know, we had a loose understanding of, but basically it was to pool our money and give it away. Yeah. And at the very beginning, we had all these grand dreams. Like, at one point, I remember less pitching an endowment. Oh, like, yeah. Like, let's build an endowment, and then we can pay somebody to do this work. And yeah. we're like, that's crazy. So we ended up not doing that, but we came up with a half a percent of their income uh, every year to be part of the collective. Yep. Yeah. And we've now raised and given away 200000 Oh, uh, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that started in 2008-ish, so yeah. that's still been going. Yeah, yeah. I think when we started, we had those kind of three pillars, right? Like it was instilling a sense of philanthropy mm-hmm. in young folks, building women leaders, and building community. Yep. Um, and all three of those were super important to us. Yes. Um, so yeah, there was, it was so much fun. Yeah. And that was something we also wanted, right? It was like, yeah. As long as this is fun, we want to keep doing it. But the second it becomes not fun, we're out. Yes. And all, all the people who founded it all had experiences working in nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So that really shaped the way that yeah. it showed up. So um, we didn't have a lot of structure. Uh, we had as little structure as we could get away with. Mm-hmm. At one point, we had this idea of maybe we could ask people to give volunteer time instead of money. And then we realized that would be a huge administrative nightmare. And we just didn't want to deal with it. So we said, nope, we're not doing that. Um, we decided that we wanted to give one big grant every year. We wanted to get all of our money and give it to one group every year. We did not want to have people filling out applications for $1,000 or $5,000. And they've stuck with that. Yeah. Um, so we give out twenty-five or more $1,000 every year now. Yeah. Um, so it really does make a difference for those organizations, which is what we wanted yeah. when we started it. Yeah. And I also loved the idea of sharing and building new leaders. Um, especially women leaders. Um, so you brought in this idea from your organizing days at UNC Chapel Hill of, um, and I always get this part wrong, but a uh, kind of staggered co-leader term. So you've got one person who's been on as a co-leader um, for one year, and then these, the other one's been there for two years. Um, so you've always got someone with some experience and then someone who's new. Um, so I think that's been a great model that stuck. And then the idea that our five founding board members would be off within five years, would be off the board within five years so that we can continually make sure that this thing is growing and moving and building new folks. And Mm -hmm. we were able to do that, which is kind of crazy looking at other nonprofits who have issues with kind of board tenure and um, building new leaders. And we just kind of said it from the outset, like, this is is a priority for us. This Mm -hmm. is really important. So 
And it made us be really intentional about who we brought in yep. and how we built structures. Um, and so as we, you know, now in my consulting world, I'm talking to other people about leadership development and I'm helping folks think about how they can transition their boards. And it's a lot of the lessons that were from the Beehive. Yeah. And before that, the, the organization I stole it from was called the Student Environmental Action Coalition. And it was my a college organizing experience that led to that model. So for listeners who don't know, Nicole is on Raleigh City Council. Yes. Um, first term. Sworn in in December. Sworn in December. Yeah. I was on her campaign team. Um, so how did you, kind of, what was your evolution to decide to actually even run? <laughs> Very crazy. Um, I mean, we, you, you and I actually had been, again, my co-conspirator life partner, um, had talked about it, but very like, maybe one day this could happen. Um, uh, the way it's been kind of coalescing in my head is, you know, we've been doing all this work to give back to Raleigh. We care a lot about Raleigh. We want to do more. Um, I went and had two babies, kind of plugged out for a little bit, unplugged for a little bit rather than plugged out. Um, and at some point, I found myself with more energy and time again for another part-time job um, and wanted to do the next thing and couldn't find a great landing place for that for whatever reason. Um and with that, there was also this great passion for finding women to run for office through groups like Lillian's List, but other means as well. Um, and then the 2016 election happened, and there was this great um, kind of burst in energy and, and uh, momentum for more folks to run for office. Um, and knowing that the next election was 20, what year is it, 2017, um, city Council, I went out and started having conversations with folks about who wants to run for City Council um, and quickly realized um, that no one was thinking about it yet. Um, and as we've learned, women need seven asks to run for office and men generally need none. Um, so I started having these conversations and women and other folks started asking me, to run for office, and so I joke that after 207 asks, <laughs> um, I decided it was time, and that's the story for a lot of a lot of women is you ask her how she decided to run for office, and she says, I was asked mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's kind of how we jumped into it, but in those conversations was conversations with, with you and other friends about like, hey, if we're going to do this, I'm I'm going to need help. I'm mm -hmm. going to need a team, and I'm going to need your skills and time and jabbing me to do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah. And one of the things that you did masterfully in that campaign was tap into your community. Yeah. Tap into our community and say, okay, I know because we did the vagina monologues together, because we did the beehive together, yeah. you're really good at this. Yeah. Can you come and do this for me? Yep. Yeah. So how were those conversations? What was that like to yeah. be asking for help in that way on something that wasn't raising money and giving it away, but really yeah. for this other way of making Raleigh a better place? I, I think it was really interesting. So, like, I remember writing down a list of names, all women, <laughs> of course, <laughs> yes. um, of folks who could fundraise, who could facilitate, who could do communications, who understood city government, um, who understood how to run a campaign, and I think I tried to pull everybody together 
at first, um, again, around our dining room table and got a couple of no's mm-hmm. for different reasons. Either they didn't feel comfortable because of their job or they just didn't have the time and, and bandwidth right now. Um, but we got enough yeses to pull together a group around the table and say, okay, like, this is how we're going to give back to Raleigh next. Like, this isn't about me. It's about us and giving back to our Raleigh. And that was kind of the entire theme of our campaign was giving back which really built on everything we had done over the past umpteen years um, for our community. Yeah. So pulling all this incredible, lovely brains together again over dinner and figuring out a path forward, figuring out our goals, figuring out um, who would play what role yeah, and how we were going to do this. Yeah. So, you know, my role in that was, uh, to begin with, I volunteered <laughs> to facilitate campaign team meetings. We had this great group of folks but coming from all different perspectives, coming with all different skill sets. And so um, in the beginning, you were doing that. Yeah. And quickly realized that that was really challenging to both be the candidate and be facilitating the meeting. So I took that over. And over time, I think that really morphed into trying to just help the campaign team run smoothly in multiple ways. Eventually, I took over the fundraising, some of the fundraising piece that you were doing most of. But, you know, it was a really... um, great crash course in kind of project and team management and really figuring out how to get work done and how to get it done efficiently. So all of us had day jobs. Almost everybody had kids, one of the few who didn't have kids. Um, So full lives and adding in this kind of contentious, high-paced, particularly as it got closer to the election in October, very high-paced, high-stress sometimes. Um, and so I think one of the things that, that really benefited us, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, is um, we early on said we want to use a tool to keep ourselves together. Oh, yeah, yeah. We want to use Basecamp. Yeah. Which I hate to recommend like a, a very tactical thing, but it was so useful for it was us. huge. Um, we had all of our materials in one place. All of our communications went through one place. All the good pictures of Nicole and the campaign ended up in the same place. Yeah. Um, And we had to be really strict about it, particularly at the beginning, to tell folks, don't text and Facebook message and email and Basecamp. Everything goes through Basecamp. And we just kept coming back to that. And so we built this whole set of habits around that, around structuring campaign meetings, Mm -hmm. around celebrating success, around evaluating and really thinking about what we wanted to shift moving forward, that really helped us win. Yeah. I mean, we beat somebody who raised twice as much money as we did. At least. At least. Yes. Um, so that was that was huge. But I'm curious, yeah. as you reflect on, like, building that team and getting yeah. the work done, what did you learn through all of that? Oh, my God, there was so much. There was so much. I think um, two, well, one of the biggest things was about how different political fundraising is from yes. nonprofit fundraising. So you and I, at some point, like, had this whole conversation about you know, nonprofit fundraising, which we've been doing for years now, is about the relationship. You're building up to get that meeting, to sit down with somebody and get to know them, and and ideally building for the long term, like building a really long relationship. You're going to get tens of thousands, if not more, of dollars out of this relationship. Political fundraising is a completely different beast where it took me a while to get really comfortable with actually dialing for dollars. Um, And it's one of the things that was super helpful with that was the expectations. Once I realized the expectations of donors were different, that they expect you to call and ask for money, 
then it became easier. Um, but having been trained to, like, no, you call and you, like, ask for a meeting. But there's no time for that mm-hmm. in political fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a huge learning, a huge shift, a huge shift for myself in being okay with that type of fundraising. Um, I think now I have the flexibility or the kind of convenience of two years before I have to start doing it again. And so I can go back to my... Um, traditional ways of fundraising where I'm building relationships. So we're going to go hang out and have coffee. We're going to go hang out and have lunch and just get to know each other where I'm not asking you for money right now Mm -hmm. and give me again in another month. Um, So that was a huge, huge learning. Um, There there are other, (laughs) there are many others, Um, but that that was a big one. You know, one of the things you and I overlap on is being fundraisers. Yes. So we were both fundraisers for many years. We still do it for work and for fun. You were the one who got me into professional fundraising. Yeah? I remember that conversation in our living room. What was that? Oh, you were you were like, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go do this nonprofit thing, this nonprofit consulting thing, and do you want to be the development director? And I was like... Oh, holy shit, I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> like, But wait, I enjoy raising money in my spare time, and I think I'm pretty good at it, and I love this organization and know it really well. Um, and, well, duh. Yeah. Plus, it's more money than organizing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you totally were the one who was like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, I got talked into it. So I had been an organizer at the Conservation Network for a couple of years, and um, the development director, we Hired for the first time a development director. Yeah. They left after a few months, maybe a year. Yeah. Um, and we had this uh, grant support to do a whole bunch of training. I think there were three on-site training retreats for mm-hmm. how to do individual donor fundraising, which was something new for the Conservation Network, relatively. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, our shared boss, Brian, um, talked me into it. Yeah. Like, You'll get all of this great training and all this great support in your yeah. first year. I think you can do it. And that's what I needed to right. be able to do it. Somebody asked you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And did it for seven years. And then decided, you know, I can write that on my resume as I know how to do it. Yeah. But I want a little bit more control over my time. And so stepped into the world of consulting and talked to you into taking my job. Yeah. And here <laughs> I still am. Well, that's one of the things that, that I really realized about, about getting women particularly to step into leadership is there's almost always a side conversation yes. that needs to happen. Yes. So when we were at, in the Beehive looking for a new co-chair, looking for a new committee chair, we would talk about it in a full group meeting. But if I wanted somebody to step up, I knew that I needed to talk to them before the meeting yep. and tell them how great they'd be at it and yep. how much I would support them or whatever they needed. Absolutely. And I think that's still when I talk to leaders now. Oh, we don't have anybody who's volunteering to be board chair. Well, who have you talked to about yeah. being board chair? Well, I said it at the meeting. No. Well, that doesn't work. Who do you think's ready? Yes. Go talk with them. Go talk with them. Yeah. Yeah. Candidate recruitment's the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. who's out there run- Who's out there thinking about running? Well, let's go have one-on-one conversations to, like, really suss it out and yeah. encourage folks. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, right now, you're thinking a little bit about recruiting people to run in different ways. Yes, which is a controversial topic, but I am all about it. Yeah. yeah. Why is it controversial? Because um, folks take it personally that I am out there recruiting candidates for... City Council. Oh, for their seats. Uh Uh-huh. I see. But I'm super comfortable with this idea because that's how I started. Mm -hmm. My my background is recruiting people to run for office. 
Um, and so it's nothing personal, but it's about finding our next leaders who mm-hmm. are ready to take the next step. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's not personal, but it's finding more folks who are young, who are non-white, who are non-male, who are not old, um, who have working families, who have different life experiences, who are ready to take that step and encouraging them. Because if we don't encourage them, I'm afraid we're going to get more of the same. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's tricky, though. There are some folks who are not excited about this idea. Yeah. Well, I think the other piece of it is if you recruit somebody to run, even if they don't win, the process of running, yeah, the process of uh, finding a team and raising money and being part of debates and being in the public eye builds folks' skills in a way that I don't think other experiences do. No. So That's I right. can look back at people who have run and aren't even in the political world anymore, but their their leadership skills are different, their stature is raised because of the process. Yeah. I feel like that's certainly true for you. Oh, absolutely. I I see it in some of the folks who also ran um, last year. Yep, they're stepping onto nonprofit boards. Yep. They're learning how to fundraise better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's an incredible kind of crash course in all things organizing and campaign and fundraising. And nonprofit. I mean, truly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about the Beehive, which you mentioned, is that there is a a habit around really looking at um, events and strategies and and what works and what doesn't. And so, you know, after our big fundraiser every year, the Bee Ball, there's a conversation about what worked and what didn't and do we want to keep doing this? Um, And uh, that organization has actually stopped doing several events that um, we thought were going to be great. So years and years ago, we did something called uh, Sweets with the Swarm Mm -hmm. that was a dessert fundraiser with major donors trying to recruit folks who would give above and beyond the membership dues. And while the, the event was nice and it was good desserts and we had a fine turnout, we quickly realized we just didn't have the ability to treat major donors in the way that they should be treated. We, we didn't have the capacity to follow up in a timely manner or send them the nice thank you notes yeah. or have that cup of coffee and build the relationship. Right, right. So the conversation we had was about the event and should we do it again, but it was broader than that. It was, is, is our major donors the right strategy for us? Yeah. And so it, it has instilled um, in the Beehive uh, a little bit of being thoughtful about the way that we do it. And now the Beehive has landed on three events that they do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Bee Ball raises a bulk of the money. Membership dues raise another big chunk of the money. And then we have two other events that are really around our other goals, women's leadership. Yep. So having the Kick-Ass Ladies Club and building community. We have the Stuart Cookout. Oh, my gosh, which we haven't done in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Last loves again. that event. It's such a great event. We just have a big cookout in Les and Nicole's backyard, and it's free, and we generate a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, but that's that's where we are. And, and I work with a lot of organizations that look over their calendar for the year and realize that they have 15 events. Right. And it's because they keep trying new things but never say no to the things they have been doing. Or there's an event that a board member or a staff member really loves, even though it doesn't generate any money. Um, and so, and, and that can just be really taxing yeah. on an organization. Um, so being really strategic and thoughtful about, nope, we're just going to do three things. We're going to do them really well because yeah. they really matter and they really have an impact on our goals. That's right. That's so right. I really appreciated that yeah. about the beehive. Yeah. What about you? 
Um, so I want to pick back up on a thread that we um, started around women's leadership and how um, you and I at some point noticed, like, we have all of these incredible women leaders we've, we've built through how the structure of the Beehive Collective works. Like, folks, because we're mostly women, serve on a board, they get all these great skills, and then they go off because we still do have this idea of, like, I think it's six-year terms, or six years on the board. Um, but how do we capture that energy, and how do we make sure we're still building women leaders? And is there space for a new um, project or a new nonprofit to be doing women's leadership? So we had talked about it in the sense of um, political leaders, business leaders, and then just kind of general nonprofit or a catch-all, um, realizing very quickly there is nonprofits or there are nonprofits mm -hmm. who do political leadership for women, Lillian's List being the main one. Um, there are groups who do um, leadership development for business owners who are women. But maybe there's this space that still exists for um, women who want to just build their skills in, in giving back to nonprofits or volunteering or otherwise. Um, and so we did. We played around for a little bit about is it time to create something new? Or, what, like, where can this idea land? Um, and we went back to the beehive, as we usually do in our thinking, and remembered that one of our kind of three pillars was building women leaders. And so as founding board members, we were very cautious in approaching the current board to kind of um, throw out this idea to them because we, we wanted them to have the ability to say no, the, the comfort to say no. Um, but they loved it, and they have since formed a committee that is all dedicated to women leadership and out of that came Kick-Ass Ladies Club, super fun non-networking networking event mm -hmm. um, where we're celebrating some of the incredible women leaders throughout our community and, and giving folks opportunities to connect around that theme. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love how much we've been able to learn through our work with the Beehive Collective and our, our creating of new things. Mm -hmm. yeah. You just made me think, you know, one of the things that I know has been challenging for me with the Beehive is um, it was our baby, right? Like, we helped to start oh, it. Oh, my co-conspirator life right her yeah. baby. <laughs> and we, we love it. Yeah. And we really wanted to succeed. Mm -hmm. And we made a conscious choice to hand it off. Right. Uh, and so that's been challenging in a number of ways, right? Like, watching other people do the work differently. Yeah. Um, having more power in the room than we should. Right. You know, I remember realizing at some point, like, oh, if I speak up at a committee meeting, they're going to take that way more seriously than they should. That's right. Um, and so just having to be kind of thoughtful about being a founder and still wanting to participate in the space yeah. has been really challenging. And I wonder if you've noticed that about your role there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I, I've, I think we probably noticed it about the same time as we rolled off the board and are still involved in all sorts of events and, and committees. I'm also um, coming to grips with it in my new role at City Council where usually I throw out crazy freaking ideas and see what sticks. Um, and generally they don't. And now that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So I have to preface most things I say with. I love to generate ideas and throw ideas out there. And if they don't stick, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you're the expert. You know what you're talking about. I'm just here to try and connect some ideas. Uh-huh. But it's taken with such more weight because of this new title I have. And it's strange. Yeah, you have a lot of power now. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. And I'm, I'm quite uncomfortable with it in a lot of spaces. Uh-huh. Um, so I do, I often have to, like, stop and be like, I'm going to save that idea and, and hold it for a safer space where the person I know will try it on or 
I'll run with it. Or be willing to say no to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, People I do. need to say no to you. They need to say no to me. <laughs> and I will, what they don't realize yet is I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a struggle right now. I do. Mm-hmm. I get into groups of, of or meetings of a group of folks, and I'm like, okay, no, seriously, I'm saying this because I mean it. You can say no if this is a bad idea, but I just have crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite board members when I was at the Conservation Network, um, brilliant entrepreneur, loved to start things. And I was the fundraiser. He was on the fundraising committee. And so he would call and have crazy ideas. And I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> normally when a board member does that and you're the staff member, yeah. you react with, Oh, God. I need to do this now. (laughs) You've come to me with an idea. I need to do it. And he was really thoughtful about saying, Heather, these are just ideas. Mm -hmm. You don't have to take them. If it works for you, that's great. And that was about everything from how I typed up the finance report to events to individual donor work. He had crazy ideas, but he knew he had more power than he necessarily should. Right. Um, over me in yeah. that situation, and yeah. he acknowledged it and gave me permission to say no to him, which was super valuable yeah. in that situation. Yeah. It was amazing yeah. to stop and pause and be introspective on, on work we do together all the time. Yes. But to have the space. So. so thank you for being my co-conspirator life partner for the last 18 years. Yes, likewise. Thank you. And thanks for taking this time today. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Experience. T&E is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear, our graduate editor is Kristen Gullihue, our graduate assistant editor is David Mueller, and our communications assistant is Haley Jones. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience, and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.